Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. People knew that there was the doctor in the village that weekend and word just spread. Everybody wanted to see the doctor because just imagine living in a place where you hardly ever see, you know, it's not like here where you have appointments to keep appointments to see a doctor over there. Some people have never seen a doctor before. So the only place that we had was a, a mango tree for the people to sit under. And then we used the building. Uh, we triaged the building in such a way to create some privacy. We would like hang like sheets and so on over the window. Mm-hmm. And for four days, those people came and they sat patiently. And a few Ghanaian nurses and other medical practitioners came and we served the people. I mean, the, looking back, I know that it was a miracle because it was my husband there, the only doctor. And and we saw so many people and, you know, we felt like it was such a rewarding effort to have these people see a doctor for the first time and just be cared for. We saw women, children, you name it. That evening after we finished, we realized that God was doing something. And that is how... IHDN mission organization was started. Hello, moms. Akua here with a few announcements for you before we run our recorded interview. We have some celebrations as this episode is the season finale for season two, our spring and summer season of Moms Changing the World podcast. My heart is so full as we celebrate each and every guest that we were able to highlight. I appreciate you sharing your stories with us and inspiration. And to each listener, you are who make this community as amazing as it is. And so I thank you all for being along on this journey with me. So even though we won't be dropping consistent episodes, we'll still be in the background getting things ready. And no worries, your mom, chief encouragement officer, is here for you. I will be dropping in occasionally with some bonus episodes, as well as announcements for when my parenting webinar and events will take place from here moving forward. 
So in case you have not already subscribed, please make sure you hit that button because that's how you'll automatically receive any updated um, announcements or bonuses that pop into this feed. And you can also visit our website to make sure that you're part of the email list because I'll be announcing things there as well. So you can follow the link on the show notes as well as go to www.momschangingtheworld.org and make sure to sign up there for our email communications. Finally, if you are listening to this in live time, I'm so excited to share that one of our guests, Falake Phillips, was able to invite us all to be a part of something happening in live time. So that was episode 24, where we shared Falake's passion for community. And we have another event that she's hosting with her Awo Center. So to celebrate and promote Juneteenth, humanship and kindness in diverse communities, Awo Center is pleased to present on June 26th and 27th their inaugural virtual Humankind Fest. Humankind spelled H-U-E-M-A-N. It's a two-day groundbreaking festival bringing together unheard voices from local communities to pack the different shades of our shared humanity. So to reserve your spot, all you have to do is sign up for this free event at www.awocenter.org backslash festival. And this free festival is a celebration of our community, our stories featuring a rich tapestry of African-American, African, Asian-American and immigrant storytelling artists an African Traditions Workshop, as well as Interactive Social Justice Hackathon. And you'll have to log in and be a part of this virtual celebration to know exactly what that's all about. But I hope many of you will be able to take advantage of this if you're able to hear and find out about this before Saturday and Sunday, June 26th and 27th. Promises to be an incredible time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, you, anytime you're listening to this, you can always get any updates or answer any questions by going to the show notes. And we'll look forward to connecting with you. And we also have our Facebook group at Moms Changing the World podcast, where we continue the conversation year round. So we'll look forward to connecting with you soon. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to Moms Changing the World. I'm Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and your CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer. I am thrilled this morning to get to share this interview with you because there will be times that I have moms on who have had an extra special impact on my own life and my own journey of motherhood. And our guest this morning, June Agama, is one of those special women in my life. I like opening with Proverbs, and so this time we have an Arabic proverb from June's book, Carol's Closet, and it says, write the bad things that are done to you in sand, but write the good things that happen to you in a piece of marble. I'll repeat that again. Write the bad things that are done to you in sand, but write the good things that happen to you on a piece of marble. And I love how that is so true and resonates so much with the journey and the story 
uh, of Life and of Carol's Closet, June's biography. So I, you know, met her years ago when I was in my early 20s and I was a health educator at Kaiser and just, to, you know, ready to kind of explore and explore the world and wanting to reconnect with my home country, Ghana, as I hadn't been back since I came as a young child at four years old. And so I had the chance to go back with one of my aunts and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could connect or find some kind of a mission, you know, a health mission, because I knew that I wanted to do, you know, something health related while I was in Ghana as well. And so back in the early days of, you know, Google and, you know, internet search, I just typed in, I think, you know, medical mission, Ghana. And the International Health and Development Network was one of the first entries that popped up. And June's husband, Dr. Agama, uh, was able to connect me with my, my first kind of health experience when I went on that first trip. And then I was able to go along with them on a whole missions team. And we'll share more about that in a little bit. But to tell you a little bit more about June, June Wood Agama was born in Guyana, South America, and is currently the Logistics Coordinator for International Health and Development Network, a nonprofit organization established to help poor villages in the developing world. June is an internationally recognized public health leader and has coordinated 37 mission trips to Ghana and raises annual support to help thousands get access to quality health care. June co-chairs the local community health giving circle in her hometown of Springfield, Illinois. And June holds a bachelor's from the University of New Orleans and an MPH from the University of Illinois, Springfield. June is the author of Carol's Closet, and that is her story. It begins when she was a young Guyanese-American immigrant coming of age in a changing society. And it's interestingly set amidst the backdrop of the new political systems that threatened the Guyanese way of life. She was unaware of her need for an open heart as she grappled with issues at home and then immigrated to America and then, you know, raised her children. And she had written treasures tucked away in her closet that are now unearthed and became the catalyst for Carol's Closet. This book highlights her rich heritage for readers and generations to come. She currently resides in Springfield, Illinois, and is married to Dr. Edda Magana with three daughters, Sarah, Asaya, and Miriam. Welcome, June. How are you? Oh, hi. <laughs> Hello, Ekua. What an honor. Thank oh. you. Thank you so much. I am thrilled beyond words oh. to be part of this venture. I know you are a very talented and wonderful person. I remember the first time I set eyes on you, I was like, wow, she's going <laughs> to change the world. <laughs> and when you gave me a call and you told me mm. about uh, what you're doing, I kind of like, mm, I, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. And here we and are. And so I am thrilled to be part of your journey. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you for that introduction. Uh, I know that you know, God does not always, uh, you know, open doors, but when he does, it really, he really does. And sometimes he speaks through the mouth of babes. He really like does. Many of you, like many of my listeners, I, have, I had to raise three daughters from 1991 to, to 2013 when my last born went off to college. 
And it has been a real privilege and an honor to be part of raising brown girls in an environment where most of the time they didn't know who they were or who I am. And so I want to be able to unpack my story. And that's when I wrote uh, Carol's Closet. That's but um, awesome. thank you, Aku, for <laughs> for, for um, asking me to, to comment on on motherhood and raising children. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you were one of those pictures of motherhood, you know, in my life, you know, long before I had my own children. I think I was just starting to date my, you know, now husband at the time that I went on that first trip. And so, um, yes. yeah, yeah, it was beautiful to, to be a part of your life then and to stay in touch to celebrate now. And we are, you know, one of the stops on this book tour of yours, releasing this incredible story. And I think we have the distinction of being the first recorded interview that you're doing about the book, <laughs> which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> so uh. yes, as you know, as we, as you know, I like to start off talking really practical about food and your book, you know, in the early years, you, you talk about, you know, what it was like to grow up on, you know, in Guyana. And I'm curious, you know, when you were feeding your family, you know, how did you, what were your go-to meals? How did you bring together, you know, some of your, your past with the, the present? Well, it's always very challenging uh, when you're raising three young children and both you and your, and your husband, my husband's from Ghana, like who said, and I'm from Guyana. And so you try to figure out creative ways of making food that would make everybody happy. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I would cook some of the Ghanaian food. I would also um, cook some of the Guyanese cuisine and then throw in some American food and so on that the children liked. Later, I realized that um, we were so busy. Everyone was going and coming. So I would usually um, cook those meals ahead of time. Like I would take two days in the week mm-hmm. to prepare the meals and then I would freeze them. And um, I would prepare like, you know, breakfast and lunch for the kids. And my husband always took his lunch also. And so we had a system going. And then in the evenings, we would always have meals together. And that worked out for us. We tried to eat everything. We love Italian, we love Mexican, we love African foods, Indian foods, and so on. So it's been um, a really exciting journey. There's a big joke in Springfield. We've always been one of the minority people, but whenever we have get-togethers or the children's um, graduation or anything or parties, the Agama's home is a place to come. Because we have a variety of food, all kinds of food, <laughs> and um, people enjoy it, and uh, we we kind of like like having people over. Yeah, yeah, and that and that brings the world, you know, and all the different kind of world experiences that your family brings together. It brings it to your home, and every yes. day it's like you know each meal takes you to a different corner of the world, and you get to share that with your children as well. That's awesome. And then it sounds like you had a, a re- good reputation for the meals that you prepared and the <laughs> foods that you shared and that you know, yes. to, to expand the world of your neighbors and your friends and your, your local community. Good. So tell us about yourself and your life now. You know, how did you find your passion and your voice? Well, since 2017, my husband and I have been empty nesters and I've always worked from home since 1996. 
I'm the logistics coordinator of the International Health and Development Network. And I find that very rewarding because we did not know what we were about when we started this journey back in 1996. And we showed up in Ghana and went to this little village at Bosma. And when I, you know, I was born in Guyana. And for me to show up in another village in, in Ghana, West Africa, it was really surreal because I'd never seen that many people you know, in one place in a village. And, you know, I, it, the compound things, there were no medical doctors, there were no nurses. And, you know, it, it's really remarkable what God can do because people knew that there was the doctor in the village that weekend and word just spread. Everybody wanted to see the doctor. Because just imagine living in a place where you hardly ever see, you know, it's not like here where you have appointments to keep appointments to see a doctor over there. Some people have never seen a doctor before. So the only place that we had was a, a mango tree for the people to sit under. And then we used the building. Uh, we triage the building in such a way to create some privacy. We would like hang like sheets and so on over the window. And for four days, those people came and they sat patiently and a few Ghanaian nurses and other medical practitioners came and we served the people. I mean, looking back, I know that it was a miracle because it was my husband there, the only doctor, and we saw so many people and, you know, we felt like it was such a rewarding effort. To have these people see a doctor for the first time and just be cared for. We saw women, children, you name it. That evening after we finished, we realized that God was doing something. And that is how IHDN mission organization was started. And since then, we've been doing this for 25 years. I also love taking care of the needs of people here locally. I joined one of the medical organizations here where doctors' wives, we we tried to look for opportunities to serve the local people here in Springfield. And so we created this. It used to be the medical alliance at first. And then after a while, we realized that we needed to reform things and look at a different way of meeting the needs of the of the poor people in this area. So we started what is called the Community Health Giving Circle because we feel that we are so privileged here that we need to look and find needs and then fill those needs. So we started this organization and I feel very, you know, very, very rewarding to be able to meet those needs. We meet and we, we find out people and organizations that have uh, medical needs, and then we have we give out grants annually to these organizations, and um, to see the difference that it's making in these communities, it's it's just tremendous. So that's yeah. the way I try to find meaningful ways of giving back to my community here. Yeah, that's incredible. And from you know the the first clinic under a mango tree, you would take you know one or two missions a year. It sounds like to then build what is now uh, a thriving, you know, hospital. 
tell us a little bit about that. So um, after that was uh, we, our first um, meeting was in, um, you know, recognition of the needs were in 1996. And uh, we continued to go. We would go annually on, this, on these trips and try to see patients. The good thing for us is that my husband's parents loaned us part of their building so we can have clinics every time we went. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to hire someone. But then in 2008, we were fortunate to find land in Weta, which was three miles from the Agusma um, first mm-hmm. clinic. Mm-hmm. And we opened um, the first uh, outpatient facility there in 2008. And then in 2013, we realized that our, our idea of, of meeting the needs of the people through the outpatient facility was not enough. We needed a way for people who've walked for miles and miles and miles to come mm-hmm. and get um, taken care of. They needed a place, you know, if they were sick, to um, be able to be in the inpatient facility. So in 2013, we opened the inpatient facility for them. And um, that's been uh, a real blessing because we have like a catchment area of 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. And these are people who make less than $2 a day. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for them to have a place where they can come and they can be taken care of and they have a you know place to stay, be treated, it's, it's just wonderful. And so um, we see about 30,000 people annually at that facility. And mm-hmm. um, now the area is a thriving area where people um, are very, very proud that they have mm-hmm. a facility that they, they know when they come there, they will get better. And um, so we're, we're very excited about the way IGDN has been able to meet the people's medical and, and physical needs. Yeah, that's incredible, you know, that you had a vision. You said, you know, you and your husband went one time, you know, the first time. And out of that, that seed, you know, those first experiences, it just bloomed and grew. And when I joined you, it was still a, a clinic setting and you take volunteers with you each time that you go. And I remember what really struck me was that you did have the health piece, you know, as the, the driving force with the clinic and the care that we were providing. But you also made sure to take volunteers who had different experiences. So on my team, you know, I, I have brought the health education and diabetes piece. And so I was able to do some teaching yes. around that. But we, you know, had medical students who do their kind of international rotation with Dr. Agama. So, you know, they brought, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, health experience. We had some pharmacy students and residents. So they were able to help with the medication and the medical, you know, piece of it. But there was also, you know, a, I think a, a woman who ran a business, a clothing business. And so she tried to d- help develop, you know, some business ideas for some of the women there who are, you know, seamstresses and, you know, who make beautiful clothing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, gave some business support for them. And there was a technology person, somebody who, you know, wanted to expand some of the technology that was going on at the time. So it was a really great picture of not only meeting the physical health needs of the people that you were there to serve, but also, you know, br- connecting people from America and to allowing us to share you know, our need, our strengths and skills and, and gifts as well, so that the circle is complete, right? It's it's giving and taking both ways um, in ways that are just pretty, pretty hard to 
to capture, you know, uh, you know, if you haven't, you know, been there, or experienced it, it's really, really amazing. The work that you, um, you know, and the IHDN have been able to do. Yes, it's a, we try to, you know, like when I was in public health school, you know, we learned that, you know, we have to treat both the body, the mind, the spirit. It's an all encompassing thing. And because people come there, they have needs beyond their um, physical needs, you know? And so IGN tries to meet those needs and we, we try to create an atmosphere where it's a win-win situation when we ask volunteers to leave their family and home here in the United States, their comfort. And you take them there, you want to provide meaningful jobs and opportunities for them to share their skills and abilities with the people over there. And so everyone gets to um, benefit from it. The people there benefit and the people that we take over there also benefit. Over the years, we've taken over 500 people, volunteers with us. We've made, uh, you know, like like we said, 37 mission trips. And, you know, these trips are just not easy. Uh, We have to prepare people before we take them into an environment that they're not accustomed to. Mm. So we have classes here. We train people. Then you have to procure the medical supplies and the medicines to take and all that. You have to work out all the logistics Mm -hmm. of how to get people from point A to point B. And even when you're there, you know, you have to make sure that people are safe and they're well cared for. And that's part of my job. And I love doing that because I love people and I want people to be comfortable. And it's been a very rewarding journey and experience. People always ask, how do you do it? And I, I always tell them, my secret is I depend on the Lord. <laughs> He's the one that loves people and he always takes care of things and, and guides mm-hmm. our footsteps throughout all these years. We've been doing this for 25 years. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it just gets better and better, I'm sure, each year, each journey, each trip that you take. And yeah, you know, you were also a mom, a younger mom, you know, in those days with, you know, three young school age girls, right? I think, you know, the, the oldest might have been 11 or 10 when I went with you. And then, you know, somebody was mm-hmm. maybe eight or so, and then the little one was maybe five or six. And so I remember, you know, looking at, you know, watching you, right? Because you not only were taking care of us as volunteers and making sure that all the logistics flew for, you know, came together for a clinic, but you, you know, you were also watching your girls and having to make sure, you know, that, that their needs were met. So, you know, how did you, you know, how did you, you know, balance that, you know, in all of these trips with your children? You know, I always believe that, you know, you can do so much in your own strength. But I've learned over the years that, you know, depending on the Lord always is very, very important. And uh, even before I get get up out of bed, you know, I pray and surrender all to the Lord. I ask him for guidance and protection. I ask him to give me everything that I need to, you know, take care of my kids and my husband. And I also pray that everyone he brings into my path, that I would love them and treat them like he would want me to treat them. And so, you know, once I do that, I know that, you know, he's going to take care of the rest. So I, I gain the strength from him each day 
to do the things that I need to do. So I'm not surprised if things don't go well for a little bit because I know that um, he's going to take care of it. Right. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. And so it's lovely that your children were kind of a part of this from the start. And, you know, I remember thinking if there was one thing, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there's one thing I could change about my own childhood is that, you know, in, after coming here from Ghana, it would have been amazing to be able to go back and, you know, experience Ghana, you know, in summers or, you know, in different, you know, trips and journeys. And we, you know, didn't get to do that as much as I would have liked. So it sounds like, you know, your children did have that experience going back and forth. Tell me a little bit about how, um, you know, how they were included in, in the trips. And in well, the process. you know, our children did not have any choice. In <laughs> <Right. Cuba>. <laughs> <laughs> Remember our very first trip when we took them there in 1996, they were babes. Yeah. My youngest was just 11 months of age <laughs> and uh, Sarah was uh, what? three and a half and the sale was like two or something like that. Right, right. And so uh, poor kids, you know, they didn't know what their parents <laughs> was going were getting on. into. We didn't know what we were getting, <laughs> getting into. into. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh my you know, they had no choice. And then every year of their lives, it's like, okay, it's summer. What are you, what are you doing this summer? Oh, we're getting ready to go to Ghana. And uh, so what we did was we involved in every we involved them in every aspect of the journey. Right. We had them, um, you know, helping out with the packing as much as they could. And so every year, you know, they knew that you know this trip was coming along. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how you took you 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 look back and you see all of the um, pictures that you've taken with them as they grew as they grew into this ministry and um Mm. to see how they became a part of them Mm -hmm. and um you know their friends would always ask them what are you doing this summer and this oh we're getting ready to go to ghana and so on whereas the other kids might have gone to hawaii or somewhere else and having fun but i think that it helped our kids they were able to eventually gain the perspective that this is not America is not the only place in the world. There are mm. other people elsewhere. They were able to travel all over. They were able to travel to England, you know, and other places. And they were able to see how people live mm-hmm. and uh, make make a way for their families and so on. Mm. I think that really helped them. And also, they love you, Akua, because, you know, <laughs> there was a younger person there that they can, uh, you know, talk to and you, you paid attention to them and, mm-hmm. and uh, really wanted to know much about what they're doing and so on. And, and over the years, they've grown to just mature in that way in that they can talk to adults and they feel comfortable mm-hmm. with them. And uh, it's really, really helped them to see beyond themselves. Yeah. 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 And I think as parents, we, you know, I, I know I really try to expose, you know, my children to as many, you know, different opportunities and peoples and cultures as I can. So what a beautiful way, you know, that you and your family were able to do that, you know, for your girls. And I know mm-hmm. I can vouch that it's it's made an impact on, you know, the the young ladies that they are today. Just so excited and, and proud of all that they're doing. And we'll we'll definitely get to that in a little bit. But, you know, speaking kind of of childhood and the village, your book, Carol's Closet, does an amazing job of taking us back 
in time, you know, to not only you know to not only another country, but to another world, another time. When you're, you know, you were a child in a village growing up, you know, in Guyana. So one of the things I love about your writing is that it really is is vivid. Like, you know, I I feel like I'm right there with you as a young child, you know, with your siblings. And speaking of food and and snacks, you know, you talk about some of the fruit you know, and, and some of the things that you would, would eat um, in the tropical climate. Tell us a little bit about some of those, you know, snacks and some of those early memories. Well, the backstory is that when, when I grew up, we were very poor. And um, my mom was a great economist. You know, she had everything planned out, you know, from day to day. We knew exactly what kind of foods was going to be on Monday through Sunday. And so, um, Tuesdays were my worst day because whatever your my mom put on the plate for us every day, we had to eat it or else go hungry until it was dinner time. And I remember um, I hated this meal called metamji. Metamji is a combination of uh, yams and, and plantains and everything boiled together with vegetables something called salt fish and coconut milk. And um, I just did not like the smell. I did not like the look of it or anything. <laughs> and so every Tuesday, I knew that my mom was going to make this metamji. And um, I would go to school real happy on my way back. At a certain distance, I would get to and I would have that smell. <laughs> and it would do something to me. Oh, my goodness. I would become this new person. <laughs> I would cry like a baby because Aww. I knew that when I get home, I had to find a way to muscle through this and ah, and go hungry for the rest of the evening. But fortunately for us, my parents were were very very wise. Um, we had a two you know plots of land, and my dad had um, he had planted all these wonderful fruit trees along the perimeter of the of the area. And so my sister and I would um, have opportunities to, to eat these fruits. And we found creative ways of, of devouring fruits, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we would have like berries and, and other fruits that we would uh, make into little, like we had the, the sour sap, you know, where it would be ripened and then you'd add condensed milk to it. And um, then you put a little bit of sugar and we would we would pick the dunks and the and the and the star apples and all that, and we would find ways of uh, making them tasty. And we would have like Guyana, you know, it's a tropical um, nation, and it has all these wonderful tropical fruits. Mm-hmm. Some of them you might see in the market, and you don't know what these fruits are. Those fruits are found in Guyana. Um, but you know, you, you, you find ways of, of, of eating them and enjoying them. And so we would just eat those fruits, you know, all day long. And there's also something called Buxton spice. It's a different type of, it's a wonderful type of mangoes. I don't see it here. You know, all the mangoes that I eat here, it's such a wonderful, it has this really like spicy, sweet, taste and mm. um during the mango seasons my my sister and i would just we would just live on mangoes for yeah. breakfast lunch and dinner and <laughs> and uh, we would always be climbing the, the fruit trees and 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 just eating and stuff 
And though, you know, although we were very poor and so on, and we didn't have uh, much, I never felt hungry or anything because of all the uh, alternative ways that we found to get our, our meals. Um, so it, it was a fun time. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it, I could relate, you know, with, you know, the, your mom kind of being able to do, you know, so much with what she had from, you know, it sounds like magazine pictures became your wallpaper and just brightened up, you know, the, the rooms and the decor in the home. I love that. I love that. And I, uh, I know that we often, you know, learn from, you know, our, our mothers in that way. And I know that, you know, you're very creative and have a really good eye for fashion and for decor. So that's an awesome way that you've, I think, you know, embodied your mom and her, her spirit. Yeah. So as we're talking about children, you know, tell me about how you make an impact on children inside and outside of your home. Well, our children, um, like I said, um, they grew up, we had three girls. And so what we did was we have a, a big home here, but we decided to have them share one bedroom. And um, instead of buying like small beds for them, we bought these queen-sized beds. And so we had them, um, you know, sleeping on those types of beds since they were little. So they grew up with that. and. The other thing we did was we taught them that everyone, the first person that gets to the bathroom gets to put the toothpaste on each child's toothbrush every morning. We wanted to create a create a sense of of you know community, a sense of you know think about your neighbor always. If they got into like little arguments or anything like that or fights, when they got to us certain state we would have them write you know what what they did wrong or so on and ask the others to forgive them um, we try to create a way for them to always you know get along and to know that you know life is not to be lived you know in you know just thinking about me Yourself. always yeah. think about your family always think about the other and I think it has helped them over the years. They're very close. They always try to, you know, stay in touch with each other and so on. Another thing that we did was when the girls were in school, we always tried to uh, encourage them to, you know, find ways of reaching out to their neighbors. You know, we started at a young age to try to teach them to do um, housework. You know, mm -hmm. they had to learn how to do the dishes. They had to learn how to do yard work. Uh, one of the things that really impacted um, our neighbors uh, with our girls was, you know how the kids would hate it because there were those Agama girls over there. They're doing the lawn. They're doing everything. And the parents would say, hey, you know, you guys have to be like the Agama girls. And, um, they were the examples. Uh, one thing is that, yeah, <laughs> they um, we taught them how to mow the lawn and so when they were a little older, they can do it. Mm -hmm. And our neighbors looked at them and said, yeah, you guys have to start mowing the lawn. Yeah, <laughs> Later on, they learned that this was a very beneficial thing because they were able to um, make extra money uh, mowing other neighbors' lawns and so on. So my girls were, were instrumental in uh, encouraging their uh, the others to work hard 
Yeah, that's yeah. great. And I love that you brought that up because I was just reading, you know, an article about how uh, from a young age, early age, we need to invite our children to help with whatever we're doing. Because especially when they're little, they want to just be with us and they want to do what we're doing, right? Imitate us. And yet sometimes it's just, oh, it's easier if I just do it myself or this chore will just happen faster mm-hmm. if I just just take care of it. But the article was kind of pointing out that, you know, it, it kind of squashes their desire to be helpful. And it's kind of, you know, if we do too much for them and we don't find small tasks, like you said, small ways of helping pack boxes or bringing this or running little errands when they're young and wanting to and motivated to, you know, we might miss that opportunity to mm-hmm. raise children who are mindful of others, who want to contribute, who feel like they, you know, are an important part of the family. And so thank you for, you know, for bringing that up that from a young age, no matter, you know, you know, the youngest of children can carry things from one point to the other, right. And can, you know, learn about, you know, let, let's put this away or clean up this before we do that. And, you know, especially I think as sibling rivalry is often heard of, right. I love that, you know, you instilled some r- routines in your home that taught your children to think of the other and serve the other, you know, at, you know even as yes. they were doing things for themselves. So that's great. Wow. So now, Bring us to now that your girls are graduates from high school, college even. They're beautiful young ladies with big, big hearts. How did they lead you to writing this book? And what are they doing now? Well, the girls are, we've been privileged to have the girls be, you know, grown adults who want to serve. And I think that that has really had an impact on them. Now. I'm not saying that my girls were perfect. For example, I love gardening and stuff like that, but they never really liked gardening. (laughs) So I didn't force them to come out there and help me. Mm -hmm. The reason why I love gardening is because when I was growing up, my dad always had a large garden and Mm -hmm. I'll always say, oh, come on, help me in the garden. But they didn't like it. But surprisingly, they've taken to liking gardening and green plants I always have green plants in my home Mm -hmm. and I could never get them to help me water my plants and and, you know keep them going Going, but now my girls have made a 360 degree turn (laughs) they just love green plants and they send me pictures of all their beautiful plants and Mm -hmm. so on because when they went away to college I I said hey take a little plant with you and maybe you might Mm -hmm. like it even and lo and behold, they love plants. So that blesses my heart so much. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the other thing is that two of my girls are going to be medical doctors. And our first daughter, Sarah, is at UIC in Chicago. And our youngest one, Miriam, is here at SIU, Southern Illinois University Medical School. And Asaya is the middle girl. Now, she did not want to have anything to do with the medical field. <laughs> and she, was, she was the one that's always searching for who she is. You know, I'm different. You know, I want to be different and stuff like that. And she's the one who's a writer and she loves English. Um, I remember Asaya spoke her first word very, very early. First sentence, you know. 
so I knew that there was something there and she always loved using big words and <laughs> she wrote her, her she wrote this beautiful essay one time about her family and all the things that her family did and stuff like that so I knew that there was something there so I would always encourage her to write and so on so I think God has a great sense of humor because for the longest time you know I love writing I never thought anything about, you know, like being a journalist or even writing a book or anything like that. But she's the one that would come home and she would be snooping around trying to find out stuff about me because I never speak about my childhood. I never spoke about my life in Guyana. And whenever they asked me questions about it, I always changed the subject or so because I, I honestly did not think it was important. Mm. I thought, well, you know, you come here. Guyana, come to America, you come to to pursue the American dream, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just put your head down and you just study hard, you work hard and you don't have to worry about anything. And so every time she asked me about my, oh, what about you? What did you look like as a baby? What did you look like as a, I would always ignore her. And then one day she came home and she found this, all these pictures of me in my early 20s and decided to make a blog for my birthday. And despite the fact that I didn't want to look up, look at my past, I just wept because I'd totally forgotten about those pictures. Mm. And then uh, years later, she came home and found all of my journals that I'd written in. And she challenged me. She said, mom, look at all these, you know, you should be writing and uh, telling us about your story. And that's Mm. what um, started me during the pandemic. I decided to take note of what she said read about it and then uh, started writing and then I uh, wrote Carol's Closet. I know that it's been a journey of faith and love and hope and all those things and uh, there is purpose in my life. At first I didn't realize that Mm -hmm. until um, she told me that it's very important and I'm happy that that I took the chance to write and to create Carol's Closet. Already, I've had uh, lots of uh, pre-orders for my book. This is Carol's Closet. And there are lots of people that have read Carol's Closet, have read my story, Mm -hmm. and have just been touched by it. And uh, it's very humbling for me because I did not know that my story mattered. And... um, Mm-hmm. To see how, you know, my the, just my story is making a difference in people's lives is it, very, very humbling for me. And I just thank God every day for that. And I would encourage any, if anyone that's listening to this podcast, listen to the voice. Even something, sometimes it's your children's voice. Mm-hmm. Um, because God always has alternative plans for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we get busy, and especially as immigrants, we come to America or anywhere else, and we just focus on, you know, what the paradigms that we know. You know, you don't talk about your past. You don't think about where you came from because where you came from might not be important, but it is to our kids. And I've seen by experience how much this means to my girls. They have really, really been thankful. And even to 
my siblings. I get mm. calls from my sisters and they're just crying because they realize that I've written about them and I've written about our story and it's all mm. our story. And um, I just thank God for it. And I took the time mm. during the pandemic to sit down and do what something that he called me to do, but I didn't know that he was calling me to do it. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful because I think in a past uh, episode when I interviewed my cousin uh, who tells you know, uh, a story and is getting ready to release a story about her own father who had a part to play in Ghana's history. And you know, at the end of that, I recorded a, a meditation called Sankofa. And you probably you know, know the Adinkra symbol. Sankofa means to you know, look back uh, in order to go forward. And it's that bird you know, that kind of, you know, looks at its tail. And if you haven't, you know, listened to that meditation or listened to that recording on, um, I think it's episode 15 and 16, take some time to do it because in many ways, June, you're describing a Sankofa experience where by listening to the voice of your children and their identity and their formation, you had to go back and tell your story and revisit aspects of your background in order for you to realize some of the power and the beauty and the lessons that it held, not only for you, but it holds now that you're sharing it more widely, the lessons that we all can learn, you know, from, from you and your story. And so I am just enjoying my way, you know, through your book now. And I too, am being blessed because it, you, you know, as a, you're clearly, you know, a gifted writer. And so it takes us, like I mentioned, it transports us, you know, along right there along with you to live and to learn not only, you know, through the history of, you know, Guyana, but, you know, it's a, a part of the diaspora, right? The African diaspora, the African story. And so we all are a part of that, that story. And some, like you said, many times we don't tell the story and the stories that get told are the ones that you are in power or the ones who write down the story and the ones who share that story when we all have a story to tell and we all have a perspective of, you know, how history has unfolded. And if we don't tell those stories, who will? If we don't share with our children, you know, our, our background, our culture, our heritage, who will, right? And so I'm really thankful that we can share that message to everybody listening, no matter where you are in the world, that as mothers, we, you know, should find ways of telling and sharing our, our childhood, our adolescent stories, even if they are hard, right? Because they, they, they have lessons to share. And just like the quote in the beginning, you know, spoke to, we have, you know, sometimes the hard things we might write in sands, they, they will shift and change and we can't hold on to, to the pain in ways that hold us back. But when we can write down the treasures in marble, when we can write down our stories and share those stories in that precious material that's not going to rust or ruin, then we are passing on that legacy. We are raising the next generation to learn from our generation so they can have it even better. Yeah, that's so true because even the fact that we're going through the pandemic right now, I think is a great opportunity for parents, for moms and dads to sit down with their kids and talk to them about what they went through. You know, some of the things that they that they've lived through, because it's in the telling of your stories that your children find foundation. And especially for black and brown children in America, you know, most of them would never 
pick up a history book and learn a lot about what their grand great great grandparents went through or so on mm. or the life that they lived. Mm. So this is our opportunity to share with them, you know, who they are, that to tell them that God saw them, that God knows them, right. and that He has a plan and purpose for their lives. Right. And it's through our stories that we can share all these things and give them hope and pride in their journey. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely beautiful. I see you as a mom, you know, changing the world, using your voice in so many incredible ways. How do you, you know, create balance and find joy now as, as the seasons of your life unfold? Yes, we are empty nesters. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I always tell people, you know, I never believed. At one point in my time, I wrote in the book, in Carl's Closet, when we were in Chicago and we were starting our family and I, I had my first child, Sarah, in Evanston. Then when we moved to Chicago, I got pregnant again with Isaiah and we were living in Hyde Park. And I remember when I, you know, I just cried because, you know, I, I was so, yeah, I could, I want to lose this weight and, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, I want to start my workout and now I'm pregnant again and so on. <laughs> and then I talk about how God has a great sense of humor because right after you know, I got comfortable with, you know, having my second baby. I got pregnant again. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember crying to him, Lord, am I going to be pregnant for the rest of my life? <laughs> and um, <laughs> my husband said, honey, don't worry about it. You know, it's okay. God knows best right. because he was just finishing up his fellowship at the University of Chicago. And he said, honey, if you had not gotten pregnant and we, had, we didn't have this baby right now, could you imagine how much it would cost us to have a baby when we move without insurance? <laughs> so all those little things, you know, you know, Work we together. complain, but, you know, God has a plan and he knew. So, you know, and every time I tell my youngest daughter, well, <laughs> Oh, I cried. She said, Mom, you don't let you don't you don't want me. I said, No, 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 no. It's just where I was at the time. At time. And you know, yeah. I, I could only look narrowly at my circumstances then. Mm. But you know, I, I am so excited and so blessed to have had my girls at the age they were. They were close enough where they mm. can um, communicate and relate with each other, grow together, be there for one another. And I think God worked everything for good. And um, awesome. those years in uh, Chicago were very, very pivotal for us because mm -hmm. we left there. We lived in Hyde Park where it was a very amazing community of people of all cultures and races and stuff like that. And then we came to Springfield where, you know, we were the only ones. And, you know, the, uh, the Lord taught us all kinds of lessons through that. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about those in my, in my book, Carl's mm -hmm. Closet. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's that's lovely. And so then, you know, what have you learned about yourself as a mom? Um, well, I learned that, and I want to encourage all mothers that are listening to this in that, you know, motherhood is an amazing thing. You know, it's a blessing. You know, the Bible says the children are blessing for the Lord, and mm -hmm. it truly is. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is that. The way you treat your, your children, there are seasons in your life 
you know, like I was saying, you know, I'm proud when I realized that I was pregnant. I was getting pregnant too often. Those times will pass. We just have to embrace the, the season in which we are, put our hearts into it, work hard, see it as where God wants you right now. And as you love your children, love that time, love that period. I personally made a lot of sacrifices in that even though I went to school, education was very, very important to me. I made the crucial decision to stay home with my kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I'm one of the fortunate ones that can do that. If you can, please stay home with your kids Mm -hmm. because then you are able to be like a buffer to them, especially if you have brown or black kids, you know, in society, in this kind of society, because I was there for them. I was there for them when they got hurt. They can talk Mm -hmm. things over with me. I can give them a different perspective. I can Mm -hmm. remind them that God loves you. You know, even though this person may not like you, God still loves you. Mm-hmm. I was there to nurture that, you know, their independence. So I was able to be able to tell them, hey, you can do it, you know, be there for mm-hmm. them. Uh, my husband was very, very busy. So there's no way. Could you imagine if I was trying mm-hmm. to juggle that too with, with his busy schedule too, then they would be left alone. And mm-hmm. I'm very, very thankful that I got the opportunity to be able to be there for them during those years of maturity maturation where they go through seasons Mm -hmm. and then your child is going to be at a place where you know you don't have to worry about them anymore you know that they would make decisions oftentimes not always the decisions that you want them to make but um, (laughs) they would make hopefully wise decisions Mm -hmm. and I've watched my girls make good good decisions over the years and and then there's going to be a time in your life when like now like empty nesters and you can't tell them to call you every day. You know, mm-hmm. They'll have to choose whether they call you every day or not. And then the, the final mm-hmm. season of your life is when you're going to be on the receiving end. Well, they will have to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So just enjoy each phase and each moment. Mm-hmm. And remember that what you pour into your children when in the first season of their life will come back and be part of your journey. They would look back and say, oh, mom was there for me or whatever. Some kids would not. But of course, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want to make sure that you did your best mm-hmm. and then you leave it all up to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When you're going through the seasons, you know, like you said, it can feel like forever or it can feel like it'll never change. Mm-hmm. But right there with you in, you know, missing the baby days, you know, just feeling like yeah. they went so fast <laughs> that I just, yes. oh, you know, those snuggles and cuddles of their, you know, mm-hmm. sweet, sweet smells. And, <laughs> and yeah. yet, and yet yeah. the nights were long, right? And the sleep yes. was, was rare. And, you know, there, each mm-hmm. season has its joys and its challenges. But thank you for encouraging us that, you know, it, it, it shifts and changes before we know it sometimes. And so much, yeah, much appreciation for that. So as we're winding up this year, um, renewal has been a, a word that we are talking about and, you know, thinking in, in kind of post 2020 and as things are thankfully turning a corner for better health and healing. I'm curious, you know, what the idea of renewal means for you. Renewal is to try to, you know, see that whatever happened in the past happened for a reason and to have the mindset that you survived, we survived it and to look at the good things that happened, you know, 
for me personally, you know, I could have, you know, decided that, oh, the pandemic happened and, you know, that's it. No, but I took the opportunity to write Clara's Closet, mm-hmm. to reflect on my past and and to see how I can write and mm-hmm. um, give hope to people. And I think that's what Clara's Closet is doing. So that's mm-hmm. why I think I, I have a renewed energy to continue to bring hope to the world. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And then, you know, as our final question, what do you do for self-care? You know, self-care is very important here and important to moms um, if they are going to stay the course and be able to weather the different seasons. And so what do you do for self-care? Well, I try to um, every morning before I get about a bit, has God to direct me, direct my path. I asked him to put people in my path that he would want me to be a blessing to. And I try to exercise every day. I try to find ways to find joy in nature, go for long walks or, or, you know, try to find a way to um, encourage other people. And I think that's where it's at for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much, June, for taking us on your journey for sharing Carol's Closet with us. And how can people get a hold of the book or get a hold of you if they want to talk to you more? Um, the best way right now is if you want to order is to go to junewoodagama.com. And um, that way, if you order my book through my website, I can autograph it to you and, send, and mail it to you. Or you can get it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Wonderful. Good. We will definitely have the links for those uh, resources. Again, thank you for being a special you know, part of my motherhood journey by being a model of what raising your children you know, with a global perspective and a, a service perspective. Oh, thank you too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yes, have a wonderful season as you are sharing this book with the world. Okay. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.